0: They say patience is a virtue, but I can wait as long as you do for a change. Call me insane, but that's my. You ready? Yeah, ready. Are you ready? Yeah,
1: yeah, I think so. Um. Okay. Hi everyone. Um. My name's Fisay. And I'm Mona. Uh,
0: Welcome to Untelevised, the podcast. Um, Untelevised is a media platform dedicated to really getting into grassroots narratives, uh, simplifying a lot of the political discourse that we hear around us. And um, it came out of Fazeo and I joining our two industries together to kind of meet at the intersection of media and grassroots work. Um, Fizeo runs a film production company. Uh, we met a couple of... A few years ago now? Yeah, I think it's been... yeah probably A few like years ago. Yeah, probably yeah, the yeah. most eventful couple of years <laughs> in the history of the world. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I was super impressed when I met Fizeo. She had literally set up this film company at only the age of like 24 because she felt... Well, first of all, disillusioned with the very non-diverse, non-inclusive media industry. Um, And because she wanted to use media as a way of showcasing social good, um, you know, mainly kind of social projects. And we met because she came to showcase our project, actually.
1: Yeah, um, I came to make a film project on May Project Gardens, which is uh, the organisation that Mona co-directs, and they support marginalised communities. And I can't actually remember what that specific video was about, but since then we've worked together so many times (laughs) that it's it's like we're kind of intrinsically linked now. Um, And most recently, I think we made a documentary with a group of young refugees and unaccompanied minors that... Um, May Project has been supported so that I guess kind of shows you the kind of work that that they're doing in the community
0: It is obviously a very political time at the moment there is a lot going on in the world, there is a lot of talk and um, sorry because we're adding to it but we're we really wanted in the midst of all of this just to have a moment, catch our breath not jump on straight away but with a bit of reflection on what's going on around us and seeing how I don't know all the issues that we've been dealing with for years and that felt a bit on the margins having jumped into the mainstream and um, we kind of felt like it was maybe the time to clarify some of the many topics that are coming
1: up. Yeah yeah Um, we wanted to sort of explore possibilities for the future really. Um, We've found ourselves that a lot of political discussions can be really academic and therefore can be very intimidating for most people but we know that politics is something that affects everyone and something that everyone should be feel comfortable to engage in so we wanted to see how we could break down those barriers and make it a lot more accessible for the everyday person so the way we thought that would be best to do this uh, is to always have some learning some discussion and some sharing and that's the format that our podcasts will take
0: for today's podcast our first podcast we are looking at uprisings um what they are what creates them um what they what what they mean i mean i guess if we want to start with just even what uprising means um we we did check the cambridge dictionary definition (laughs) it uh it defines uprising as an act of opposition um sometimes using violence by many people in one area of a country against those who are in power and i guess we sort of felt that as well as that i mean th- i think the violence is probably it's, it's a very small part of it it may sometimes happen but it's not it's by no means like a you know defining you know attribute of of uprising but what it often is is a sort of series of events a series of things that really have been that people have been swallowing for a long period of time and then it does seem that something will kind of almost break the camel's back and will be the trigger that finally um launches people into some kind of momentum or some kind of spontaneous um uprising essentially and that's that's what um I guess, uprising could be defined as?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because when I saw um, the use of the word violence, I found that interesting because whenever I hear the word uprising, as someone who maybe hasn't ever looked up the official definition, I always think of it being a more empowered way of talking about protests and like um, civic action, I guess. So the use of the word violence was quite interesting for me. And also... The idea that it's about one area of a country against those in power, because I think maybe because I'm thinking of maybe more 21st century uprisings, I've always thought of them as being quite international, but... I guess that might be something that social media has introduced or made more possible or?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, we've seen in the last, if I just think of the last, maybe, I don't know, like, Oh God, I don't know, decade or maybe a bit more now, you know, we saw the kind of Arab spring and there was a the green movement in Iran. And I mean, certainly black lives matter has had many, you know, iterations is not the first time. Um, and definitely there seems to be a sense that it might kick off in one place. But the momentum travels and there is a sort of domino effect and people are inspired by each other and, you know, learn from each other, like literally. Uh, So uprising, I agree, has always, to me, the word feels positive.
1: Yeah, same. It's definitely, I always try and use it in place of stuff like riot or protest or anything that has more of a negative connotation in my eyes. um, Because it feels more empowered. It feels like, yeah, it feels... More empowered to me. I don't actually
0: know why. It just <laughs> no, but I, I think it normally seems to come with a real targeted... People do it because they really want change. You know, they it generally is a sort of... There is solidarity in it. Usually it's all aimed at a very similar cause as opposed to just like a randomness or a splatter gun kind of feel yeah. to it. Um, So uh, that's, I guess, very prominent right now around us and why we felt that we wanted to explore it but very crucially what we kind of really hope to unpick today is what comes after uprisings
1: yeah because I think like just in this short discussion we've mentioned things like protests etc and a lot of the time these things tend to have a lot of momentum and energy around them but what we're really interested in is how to sustain that and like you say what comes next Um, because if there is to be real social change, which is what we're interested in, I guess there has to be a next. It can't just be moments and isolated moments in time.
0: And um, a couple of other words we thought it might just be worth defining, because you may hear them from us quite a lot, not just today but moving forward. Um, one of them is grassroots, and um, I mean I describe myself as working in a grassroots project, and grassroots is quite a hard one we tried to define it before on our on our instagram page and actually you can go to our instagram we have quite a lot of word definitions on there that you might find useful um at um untelevised underscore tv but um grassroots is often used to kind of describe projects or you know movements campaigns that are led by very like what people might call ordinary people so often in Um, contrast to something that's organized by government or something that's a statutory service or something that is run by a very large establishment with very kind of you know big budgets or funding structures it's usually seen as Maybe even the people who themselves are going through something even coming together to kind of organise it. And I mean, again, the the, the Cambridge Dictionary says the ordinary people in a society or an organisation is what you talk about as the grassroots.
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think we could do a whole episode on grassroots. Actually, I think it would be a good thing to do. But it's definitely how we sort of connect to one another, because... I had this production company that I wanted to work with smaller organisations and empower them with media and help them to use media as a tool. And it was really eye opening to me, actually, as someone who maybe traditionally saw charity or social enterprise as some of the bigger organisations that everyone would think of to see that actually there are lots of organisations that are really small and more grassroots Um, and there's such a big distinction between these grassroots movements that start with ordinary people and these big institutions so it was really eye-opening for me maybe as someone that was more of a novice to learn about this distinction and hopefully through this podcast you'll also see loads of examples of people that are doing this real work on much smaller budgets much smaller teams etc. I
0: mean I can definitely say that When I used to work in large charities, you know, I had I had an office, I had a proper computer, I had a pension scheme, I had annual leave, and you know, I even though a lot of my friends still just perceive me as, oh, Mona just does something good nice for society I guess I don't think they can see any difference between my life now and then but trust me there is a there is a there is a massive difference I'm sort of you know you're you're working from home you're you know running everything out of your own car you know like yeah it's uh it's definitely there is definitely a distinction um the final word we just thought we'd define is is activism or activist um and I mean in this one I really actually didn't feel the the dictionary definition really was as you know it, it talks about it as the use of direct and noticeable action to achieve a, a result usually a political or social one which i guess is the sort of core of it you know activism i guess is the kind of constant acts that you are like it's acts that you always are doing with a really like set aim for to sort of for some kind of political or social change and an activist i guess is somebody who really devotes their life to that. And I I, you, I would definitely see an activist as someone who does that in their own time, off their own back. Like, not, I mean, now maybe we start to see some career activists around, but I think, you know, certainly in its original form, it was something that you dedicated yourself to from from passion, you know, not to earn money from, you know,
1: something that was quite a lifelong, I think, fight for a lot of people. No, I would agree. I think for me, the main thing about activism is the active part. I think, like you say, it's someone who's active in pursuing change or a goal, um, as opposed to maybe a more passive sort of now and then support is someone that's constantly active.
0: So, for example, I guess a very recent example might be someone like Greta Thunberg, you know, someone like that who literally yeah. seems to be living her life to to try and change climate for you know to try and save the world from from climate change. So that might be what you'd call an activist. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So if um, if the jargon is something you would like to kind of have clarified, then you can always go to our page and we, we define more words than that. And we get people that actually are active in th- their respective fields to, to to define words for us as well. So that, you know, um a lot of terms get overused and um people start to forget what they even mean.
1: Yeah, definitely check it out at untelevised underscore TV, um, where there's loads of words that you can have a look at. Um, but also we will be having this dispelling of all the jargon every week so hopefully you'll pick up the terms as we go along. Okay so let's discuss. This week we wanted to talk to people that have had first-hand experience of being at the forefront of uprisings. Someone new to uprisings who's been energised recently and a veteran activist who has been part of movements for decades. I went to speak to Ozara. She's an Iranian woman in her 60s who in her own words... She became a political refugee in her 20s after playing a key part in the 1979 Iranian Revolution and remains a prominent opponent to the Islamic regime of Iran. I sat down to chat to her about what it means to be a lifelong activist and what lessons we should be learning from the past.
2: Since childhood I was raised in a family uh, who became aware of uh, political situation, social issues. And the need for change. My dad was uh, a very, very enlightened man. He was uh, he was a leftist at that time. He was Marxist. He changed his views later on, maybe. And he he sort of got me really thinking about some values like uh, freedom, like justice, like equality, women's rights. Uh, against uh, all the superstitions and religion and things like that. So I started uh, thinking about these issues. I don't even remember when I was very, very little uh, from childhood. And then uh, I've done something, one thing or other all my life. Uh, Definitely um, justice, equality, freedom, Equality for women is there been the main issues, and um, also racial issues. Because, uh, uh, well, I lived uh, c- coming from Iran, living in abroad in Europe and North America, um, sort of found more awareness towards the issue. To be honest with you, I've never been a subject of direct racism anyway. But I had a friend who was, uh, who is black from America and I spent, uh, we had very close relationships at my student time in North America and they, her, her mom and her stepdad were very active on racial issues and the question of apartheid in South Africa at in the seventies. So all these issues were part of me. And then a revolution happened in Iran. So for me, it was just an even non-really thinking. It was just, of course, I'll, I'll participate. Of course, I should participate. I didn't really even think about it. As soon as I, I was abroad and I heard about the revolution, I went back. And that became the story of my life. So it
1: sounds like you've really been an activist your whole life um which i think is super super interesting because i don't think many people could say that or would maybe have a similar experience and how they were raised how do you think that sort of shaped who you are today
2: well definitely actually i was doing a talk on a persian radio that's in sweden about myself and there, that was the more, even more than before, when I was talking, it came to me that my dad had the biggest influence in my life. My dad put me on the path uh, to become an activist for change. And then uh, my husband, my partner, he was just like me, activist to the you know, last moment of his life. Unfortunately, he's gone now. He passed away 18 years ago. We were both active, very active actually. Uh, And um, our life together, like we lived together for, 20. I've known him longer, but we lived together for something like 24, 25 years. And all those years we worked as two activists. So it was, we were both partners and comrades. And that also had a lot to do, you know, it was always present in my family. Um, and, you know, you, when you're young, I'm a Marxist. And when you you hear that a lot that, yeah, young people have ideals and, you know, they get uh, attracted to like Marxism or radicalism when they're young, but once they get older, they be wise up and change. Uh, but that didn't happen to me. Uh, I've become more and more dedicated in what I'm doing, even though maybe at my age change seems a bit more at a distance than when I was younger and I was more, you know, energetic and not so disillusioned. Uh, But I've become even more, um, I've become even strong, I believe in what I started with, even more strongly now as I've tried to analyze all the different trends and all different political trends and trying to find solutions. And I just got, no, what I believed in from the beginning, that's the only solution. There are no other solutions. We've tried so many different things, we got to no answer. And this radical solution that I believe in, I think is the only solution if we can bring it about. So in a way, I cannot really picture myself or my, my life without um, this political activism I have Uh, and um, it's so funny it's like I was just telling my daughter the other day like I was talking to my brother he had listened to that radio talk and he was trying to convince me that Marxism is no solution and keep reminding me how old I am now and I should do something else now. And I was just telling my daughter, it's so funny, when I was young, everybody used to tell me, well, you're young now, you're wasting your life, why do you do that? Just get on with an ordinary life, normal life. Now they tell me, you're too old for it. So... You never, mean. <laughs> there's never a perfect age. <laughs> no, if they disagree with you, so sh- uh, politically, theoretically, philosophically, whatever you want to name it, then they always find an, a reason mm. to tell you not to go for it. So, you're either too young, or you're either too old, or you're too this, or you're too that. But, I mean, if these things could phase me out of it, then you would have done it a long time ago. So, it's, it doesn't it's, matter. It's
1: really it's really fascinating to listen to you speak about how sort of activism and being conscious of um, politics and um, an active citizen, I guess, um, have shaped your life and have been present throughout your life. Um, Would you say that you feel things are becoming more political as like in terms of general society and popular culture? Do you think things are becoming more more political now or less political or in your experience, do do things tend to go in waves? Because I think one of the things that um, you sort of see spoken about a lot now is the fact that the current generation, so millennials and Gen Zs, um, seem to have been mobilised around things like the environment and gender rights. And obviously we're seeing Black Lives Matter now. So in your experience, do you think things are becoming more political or
2: what's your perspective? You see, I see uh, almost everything political. Why? Because any real change you want to make in the society, you have to go through politics. So, people might be convinced that politics is not the answer. You have to go into the culture, or you have to go to arts, or you know, social views and kindness and charity and stuff. But at the end of the day when you look at it is basically political. So in that sense, it's good that and I see young generation have become more conscious of the political nature of real change in the society. Well, in the 70s, everything was political and I'm a 70s youth and 80s and 90s, it changed, especially after the collapse of the Soviet Union a lot of things changed and people started getting a false hope about, okay, now we know, now socialism is dead. So now we can get on with democracy and, you know, just live happily ever after. It didn't take very long. The wars in Europe even, in ex Yugoslavia, in Russia, in this and that and not immediately. So, you know, things changed. And now, um, I think, uh, but see, what it is, what, what, what the angle I have is now the mainstream, the dominant narrative has become identity politics. All those issues matter because we want equality and justice in the society and a free society. So if that is, you cannot expect, accept, sorry, any gender bias, any racial bias, or biased towards people who have different, um, they're homosexuals or what have you. So all these are very important issues, don't get me wrong. But what has happened now, people stay at the surface. Uh, I think, I mean, you always think you're right yourself, so you might, uh, you might not agree with me, it's okay. But I really think racial and gender issues and other issues that create hate on the other side in the society, they are used by the dominant class, the ruling class, to put people against each other. So I think at the end of the day, you have to change the political economy of the society while you're fighting for these things. And I'm not saying that you should stop fighting for these, wait for the political economy change and then fight for those. No, or they come just by themselves. This is a cliche I don't believe in. You have to fight for all these equalities, one by one. But you have to have the perspective that you cannot really reach just one of them, or maybe one of them changes a little bit, but then it comes the other way around you. You have to change the political economy. Look at racism, see how it's been. It's getting worse instead of getting better. Everybody was so happy after the abolishment of Slavery, what happened? Then you had that. Then after civil rights movement, you thought, okay, you've achieved something. Apartheid in the U.S. was abolished. Then you had apartheid in South Africa abolished. So you thought, okay, you're in the right track, but now look at it again, how horrible it is. Like in the U.S., you've you've Uh, abolished slavery in the society and you just took it to prisons and you put all black and colored kids and youth in prison and use them as slavery. So, you know, it comes to you, it haunts you from different angle. So for me, the basis is change of political economy while you fight for all of that. But going back to the question, what I see now is people have been stuck in political identities. So what does that do? You, like now, fighting for gender equality has become an extra pressure, not unnecessary, on men. You turn your uh, hate or anger or whatever against men, whereas men are not the cause of gender inequality. Blacks might put it on white people or um, then, and all of that. So you put people you put homosexuals against
1: straight people I, I do i do think it's i think it's fascinating what you're saying because one thing that um obviously i'm of a different generation than yourself and one thing that i think happens is um people become mobilized and initially that might be their first introduction to an issue so they in their minds it's something new Um and what i've noticed is that um i've quickly become quite exhausted with having certain conversations because it does feel that um, a lot of it is cyclical and actually a a distraction, like you are saying, from the real root issues. Um, So I'm coming to sort of some of the same conclusions as yourself about the fact that we have to move beyond the surface level. And I do think things like identity politics and stuff, although very important because they affect lived experience, um are very surface level and that there are much deeper things like you say um the political economy and stuff that need to be addressed if we're ever actually going to have some form of sustained change and i want us to go into that a little bit more in a minute but just for now um you said something slightly earlier about um everything being political and no action or opinion being void of politics and i I completely um agree with that sentiment as well. Um, and one of the ways that we're seeing um, in um, being deployed to be political is through protests. And we're seeing protests being used as a means of political expression. Um, have you yourself been involved in protests? And if you have, why do you think that protests or civil uprisings um, are an important form of political expression?
2: Yes, I was involved in protests, especially in the beginning uh, part of my life when I was a student and then in the revolution, we were always in protest and then after that my life went more than just taking part in every single protest, Was it became writing, making videos, making blogs uh, and organizing, I went to that part of politics which is very important to be honest with you. Protest is important, of course, because for I believe in revolution, so protests are the way you get into that uh, state of matter. And uh, it's incredible uh, that we see this protest movement at the moment, but if we stay at the surface, as you were mentioning, and to me being superficial in that sense of the word, then protest has an end. You cannot protest forever. People get tired, people get disillusioned, people, many things happen. Uh, So what you need, of course, to protest, you organize, but your organization must go further than just protest organization. You need protest organization for, for example, labor organizations, labor unions have their problems. But anyway, you need organization at your workplace. You need organization for many different things in neighborhoods. So for this, in these organizations, you have to prepare yourself for change and go and sort of implement the change. Uh, So that's very important. But let me just make one quick uh, point, is why I think we see this huge protest movement internationally. Black Lives Matter is not a new thing, but it took this momentum now. I think Corona had a lot to do with it. People saw beyond the surface. People saw the role of political economy at the Corona time. precariousness of their lives the injustice that lies in society actually came out very clearly to them on the corona and people also got the chance of reflect and this reflection meant they started seeing other side of the qu- equation so you see a lot of actually protests against the corona ca- cause situation when it comes to economy and political rights and stuff and then the, that's when when the society is ready for that for change for protest for getting active then any social issue or political issue can gain huge momentum and that's what happened with black lives matter at this time i think it's no coincidence that you have such huge black lives matter movement internationally at the time of corona
1: No, I do think it's definitely really, really interesting because as you say, um, Black Lives Matter is not a new issue um, or a new movement rather. Um, It's been around and there's been waves and waves and um, I myself have been involved at different levels um, in its different iterances. But I definitely think that there is some validity in the argument that coronavirus and um, the time and space that that's given us spurred it on. Also, people actually had the time to go out in times when they might traditionally have been in their workplace or et cetera, et cetera. But I think another interesting um, angle on that also is looking at the role of social media, because movements like Black Lives Matter, um, Me Too, except a lot of the conversation around the environment, have take- these conversations have started or taken place on social media. Um, have you had an experience? I know obviously originally in your activism, social media didn't perhaps exist, but um what's your opinion on the role that social media has to play? Do you think it's harmful or it's a it's a good thing or a
2: resource? what what sort of what experience have you had with social media? Social media is definitely very, very significant and important. I use social media for my political work too and diff- on different Platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Telegram. Uh, so, uh, because you know it, it creates uh, an opportunity that you never had. I mean, we had to write. I mean, when I was started activity, activism, writing and sending mail or Telegram was the only way, and phone, of, of course. And then you had uh, social media just revolutionized the whole thing. So that's definitely important. So this is the very positive and important side of uh, uh, social media. But the other thing is that social media has caused more superficiality. And nowadays, people don't get as deeply into issues as they to. More people get involved, but then more superficially, if, 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 if it makes sense what I'm saying. So what they do, they just put one small post and that's supposed to explain everything or promote something or provoke something so this is what it does and you don't especially young people um they don't i don't think they they probably maybe it's just my um, ignorance or prejudice but i don't think they get as deeply into issues as we used to get to it because maybe we didn't have any other way so this is the other side like all these things about identity politics that i was talking about in a negative sense have become really uh, actually possible in this era because with social media you can easily get into it and then the other thing is um, this is probably besides the issue i just mentioned it that of course social media has been very good and so you also get as they call fake news nowadays has become the the word the term um, but then uh, by trying the, the, the governments saying that there are fake news and hate uh, speech, so we want to get rid of that, they're trying to impose censorship on social media, which is very, very dangerous. I know that it's, you you don't like to see hate speech. I know that you don't like to see fake news. but when they say they're going to censor fake news and hate news they have the power then they they also censor our uh, narratives and our dialogues calling them okay if you're t- talking too much about this then you are putting hate or fake news in so the news would you, So we you going to suffer more
1: would you say that um because i think this is a really interesting sort of like the censorship of social media and especially through the lens of um, or the guise of protection, and like you say, yeah. if you say, oh, it's we're protecting you from fake news, it gives you a lot of power and control over what maybe news people are receiving. Would you say that social media makes that easier or harder um, than when, I guess, there was
2: only traditional media and more oh, traditional... media? makes harder, definitely. Definitely. Social media, if you ask me what you... If if you think positive, negative, without any... I say positive. The... I mean, there are similar. Black Lives Matter could not go international, just by mainstream media. And I know, civil rights movement in the U.S. in the '70s, the end of '60s, that had a very great impact in the world as well. Or the, or the protests against Vietnam War. These were the my youth thing. Vietnam War, civil rights movement, and women's rights. These were also basically in the West and they had this defi- definitely the same kind of impact as we see now with the Black Lives Matter or gender equality. Uh, and it became international and you saw it everywhere, but you would not get all these details that we are getting now. I can sit at home and see all the protests in France. I can see all the pro- uh, all what's going on in the Middle East. It was not possible before, but then you see, we, we the protesters or we the justice seekers, are not the only one who are using the social media. The ruling class does too. So it's, it's a battle, but definitely social media has created opportunities for us that we did not have before.
1: No, I, I think it's fascinating, really, to sort of weigh up the pros and cons i guess and i guess one of the other cons you spoke about that i think is really important also to consider and that i've been very conscious of is sort of the performative nature of the online world um and like you spoke of people may be making posts and thinking okay that's the job done and not delving deeper into issues or actually um taking actions that maybe have a bit of a longer-term impact and one of the things that we've been discussing is sort of the idea of the marathon versus the sprint um so you see around especially with social media movements gain a lot of traction and a lot of support very very quickly so there'll be millions of people doing things and raising money and then suddenly even now we've seen a few weeks or a few months after the Black lives Matter first galvanized it 's quite quiet and st- it appears to be quite stale and um, so one of the things we've been speaking about is how you move forward from that sort of initial momentum and organize in the long term and I know maybe you've had some experience about that and we wanted to ask someone what maybe lessons we can learn from the past from someone that's been there and um, try to have sustained change what kind of lessons can we learn about Galvanizing this momentum but also moving it forward?
2: You see, you can never have a lot of people on the street for a long time. You have to accept that. Every movement, protest movement like that, has its own life. So but you can have a very small section of people who are always in the process, active, doing something. So those people should know how to use these big movements that occur and you know come to life and go in the right way, and that is the process of real activists, more ser- serious activists, organizers, more thinkers who should use that situation and go forward. As you said, that like this you know uh, all these things. We, we, for example, one of the things that we have to do is just to go beyond uh, the surface to try to overcome this superficiality. You mentioned Me Too, for example. I like to, I have no sympathy for the Me Too movement. I'm, I'm, I've been a women's rights activist all my life. From the five years old, I did something that, and I still am. And I believe deeply in it, but Me Too, I think was a mockery of women's rights movement and gender equality. And a lot of people were taken by it, but now it's gone too. But have we got anything in its place? So this is what people like you who are thinking marathon, who think that things have to be, you know, more deeper and do something about it. You are the ones who have to try to go beyond the surface to get the real issue out and try to inform educate and organize on that basis if it's cl- if it if you know what i'm what i mean
1: certainly i, I think, think um i think that you're right um, it's one of the things that is sort of at the forefront of my mind and i think many people who are interested in sort of long-term sustained change, there does need to be the undercurrent of um, and the foundation of people that are interested and have the resources to um, make more long-term sustained change on a more substantial level. So in policy in and all of these sorts of areas. But I guess for people like me, it's just identifying how that happens and maybe what the entrance point is for that. How do you start it? And then how do you sustain it?
2: Uh, How do you sustain that? Yeah, so if
1: there are people that are interested in having sort of this long-term change, how how do do they begin to organize around that? Um, And how do they then sustain it? Because I think even with many movements, you see that even when there's the best intentions, often they find it very hard to sustain the momentum around
2: them it is not easy and i do not have like an you know just one answer um especially me having at you know i've been really really active and called myself an activist for the past 42 43 years and it hasn't been easy it has ups and downs it has moments that's you know it looks good rosy and there are moments that you're so disillusioned you just want to give up it's not it's not an easy solution it's just how much you dedication you have as a person try to inform as I said uh, for example um, I, I I do most of my work happens in Farsi uh, I do some English work as well and I've tried for example on women's issue to go Deeper into it and try to uh, sort of understand it, uh, you know, understand the theory and explain the theory. I've been doing different podcasts on that issue, uh, that how um, you know you 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 can have a totally false angle to to the to to the question and how it can be solved. How many people hear that? How many people notice that? And how many people agree with you and then they're ready to take action? Is These are all open question. So if you want to venture into this activist life, you have to really set for yourself that there are going to be moments of anger, disillusionment, despair, but you know, whether you as a person would continue or not, the protest will continue. If you look at look back at the history as far as we can go, there has always been some kind of movements for a better world and for a just society. Whatever they, they they saw at that moment would be just or better. So you 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 cannot look at the history without that movement. And, well, if I want to use Marx and Engels, you know, they, they, they talk in the Communist Manifesto that the history of the world is the history of class struggle. This is how they define it. But, but even if you don't want to define it as class, just go back and see there's always been movements big ones, like big revolutions or against slavery or whatever, or small movements here and there. And if you look at the modern world in the 20th century and 21st century, we've had it. Uh, whether what, at one moment we can actually solidify and organize and mobilize the right way, and it's a good moment. I mean, you cannot do everything you want any at any moment. You need some real ripe social political moments to, to, to make your change happen. But then you have to be ready for that particular social political moment. So it's not, it's not easy. Um, so if any activist is listening to me, uh, you know if that's what they think. They have to really dedicate their life. But maybe at one point they say, okay, I had it. I did what I did. No, I don't want to do it anymore. But that would happen. I've seen many people do that. But as I said, there's no straight answer. Yes. It, it, I was thinking that it sounds
1: like somewhat of a lifelong commitment, but then I think what you said at the end is really important. Um, Maybe you can enter and dedicate a period of time and then, you no longer feel you can and but still that period that you were able to commit meant something can moved something along. And I think that's maybe important for people that might feel a bit intimidated by the prospect. But I guess this is a nice place to end. What yeah. what does success look like for you or what would an end goal look like, if any, because I guess if it is a lifelong commitment, maybe there is no end. But what do you think maybe success in the in this situation looks like? ideal
2: well, since i told you i'm a marxist so i'm trying to bring a social revolution Well, since i'm more my activism is more focused on iran and iran now is going through a very uh, polit- uh, uh is going through a political turbulence so the, op- the that social political Uh, time or economic time that I was talking about is present now in Iran. It's just whether we are capable of mobilizing and organizing for that revolution or not. That's an open question, totally open. And um, so I would like to see that because, you see, any changes that does not radically touch the roots and change the roots is short-lived even if you make it if even you gain it is not long life doesn't have a long life it dies because they make it die for example in the 70s look at europe and also the whole western world in the 70s they 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 gained a lot of reforms, economic reforms, political reforms, social reforms, cultural reforms, and you had what was like so, so um, sort of welfare society, which is by far more uh, liked and wanted and desired than what we have right now. And we, we've lost them. We lost them all. There's hardly any left, very little, very little of that those gains or reforms have survived when you look at the society now so in order to have any substantial and permanent change then you really need to touch the roots that's the issue and that's the difficult question
1: i think that's um a perfect statement to end on really and unfortunately we're out of time because i feel like i could talk to you forever there's so much to learn from the people that came before us and the people that are still fighting i find it incredibly um inspiring that you have such um i guess commitment and resilience (laughs) because for someone at the beginning of her journey i already feel myself feeling a certain level of exhaustion
2: um so it it does inspire me to
1: see people that have been able to work and push through it and still uh, maintain a sense of hope
2: yeah yeah it is in hope hope you said it hope is the most important thing
0: in contrast i spoke to someone who has very recently become incredibly mobilised. A young girl called Abba, 22, from London, who's recently graduated, she's co-founded a group called Justice for Black Lives just a few months ago, and thanks to the phenomenon that is social media, has mobilised thousands of people and organised one of the main protests that took place in Hyde Park recently. So... I went to get some much-needed energy from someone who, in no way, has had time to get jaded yet.
3: I only checked the other day. I didn't know what I was, but apparently I'm Gen Z. Which I was like, oh my gosh, me and my sister in the same year, and I was like confused about that because my sister's born in 2004 and I'm born in 1998. You know what I mean? So I'm like, oh, that's weird, because she's good. I think she's 15 now. So I was like, the fact that we're in the same that same gen z is like kind of odd but like even her when when i speak to her, I have conversations with my sister i find it even interesting how she speaks about stuff because you would think for someone as young the age they'll be obsessed with like going on snapchat and stuff and she does that but she's really into like activism as well Like you know i suppose she doesn't let me have her twitter i don't know why she won't let me follow her but she did <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> so that's bad so, that's so bad I know it was really mean of her, but she does let me. She sometimes we have a group chat with me, my older brother, and she sent us a tweet she wrote about like uh, systematic racism. I was thinking she's 15, she wrote it when she was 14. And I'm like, what? I just want to think that's something they do. But I think there is a lot of young people who now are getting involved. But I also think it comes down to the fact that we're in this generation, we have like a call-out culture. So it's a thing where we, you know, we call out to, to hold accountability. So I think it does work in, and that we do that through social media because we're calling out a company or a brand or even a person like, hey, this was kind of wrong and you shouldn't have done this and this is how to improve it, you know? So that's something. Um, but i do think there is a lot of young people who are getting more involved in activism a lot of a um a lot of the movements that i've seen being led Are youth um youth uh led but then i do well, i don't mean like even at the time youth but like they're basically like led by young people mm-hmm. but then i do think it's very good for us to have a rapport with older people with the elders because we, you know you're getting yourself into but a lot of, um i would say when you get into activism a lot of young people get into activism kind of, like, being very, like, I can't explain it, like, kind of spontaneous. So we don't really know kind of what goes into activism in the sense where, like, a lot of the um, people who are older They've gone through stuff like, you know, security issues and, you know, other stuff. But as young people, we're like, oh my God, let's just post on Instagram and make this. And it's like, we still need to get their input as to like what to do in order to be safe. You know what I mean? So I, I really, really um, like that as well. But I do think there's a big dichotomy on me because I have a lot of friends who they posted a bit about like, for example, Black Lives Matter Movement. Now they're like over it in a way, you know, they're like, I'm not going to mm. talk about this anymore. <laughs> and it's still like, we need this to be continuous because then things don't get done, you know? I mean, you said so many things that I want to pick out and, and take Sorry. forward. You know, no, 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 says, no, 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 yeah, that's only a, a good
0: thing. That's only a good thing. Um, well, it's really interesting you say that because the other person the other person we're speaking to in, in this episode is um, mm. an older activist, you know, someone in their 60s yeah. who was very active under the Iranian revolution in, you know, the 79 yeah. revolution. And so, you know, it's been really interesting. We wanted specifically to look at that, you know, the kind of different ends of... The spectrum and the timeline, and, and, you know, equally, what are they learning from the younger generation and what can you, are you learning from them? Um, yeah. And, um, I think, you know, I guess this idea that any generation is all one thing or another. I mean, there are millions of people who are young and then there are millions of people who are older. And actually, I equally wouldn't say that every person in their 40s or 50s or 60s can be categorized by, you know, the same thing. You know, they're either politically mm-hmm. engaged or not. I, I, I don't actually personally think that really makes any sense. And I guess one of the reasons that maybe young people could be seen as politically disengaged is actually just because there isn't much power in their hands, you know? So even yeah. if they are doing
3: stuff, then are they really getting that far with it? You know, are we letting them get far? No, completely. And also just to add on to that part, I actually had a call the other day with like mayor representatives um, um, and like the police commissioner and the deputy and just basically city hall representatives. Right. And I remember I was in a um Zoom chat with all these people Who were young people And I thought You know that's good But then I also realised mm, This is not Because what happens is They either pick um, A lot of children Who are like young And so when they're really young They obviously will have Individual experiences For example To with racism But they actually Don't have power to do it And also it's like They're just getting All these opinions For actually paying These children Because it's like you know, I don't know. I don't know why, but I just I see I see a lot of people do that a lot. Like it'll be like um, they'll ask for their opinion, but not kind of compensate them, which is bad because you ask them for their time, and mm-hmm. you know you have the problem, so you're trying to improve it. You know, and also you know that happens a lot with a lot of things because they will use young people's voices, but not actually give us the power to do anything. So we're we're kind of stuck because the only reason they look at us as young people, they're thinking oh they don't understand. Like especially the old generation, I had many conversations with old generation that they realize after I finish that okay, well she actually knows what she's talking about because mm. when they first hear. It, like, stuff out you know what the you know the main slogans or stuff i say they'll be like oh no you're wrong you don't understand you don't have enough experience all this stuff and it's like no but i also can read we all have access to you know books and talk but i can talk to a scholar like you can talk to an academic and i'm just reading and i'm and i'm now trying to make an informed opinion from the books i read you know what i'm saying so a lot of people you know especially older generation they have that that it's very difficult for them sometimes to see that you know young people actually we're not just shouting to shout we actually have things to say and we want people to listen to us and it is just very difficult because we feel like we're we feel almost like we can speak we have a voice but when we use it we almost get suppressed because it's taken as like quite flippant or like they don't know and they don't understand how it really is it's like no we all have adjective access that well Debatable. That one's quite debatable. I was going to say <laughs> access to education. Yeah, that one's true. debatable. I don't want to really go into the rest of the, you know, classism and whatnot. But like, we all still have like, yeah, access to. Well, a lot of us have access to um, education, and it's like you know, education is one thing they can never take away from you. So like, we all know certain stuff, and we and we understand it. So, but they just don't kind of listen to us in that sense, and and that is very frustrating. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: I mean, I, you know, I've run a youth organization and and it's really interesting to hear this from you because we get contacted as the people running the organization quite often being asked, could you bring some of your young people to this or would your young people want to speak out on that? And we feel exactly the same way. We're like, you can't just keep coming to them and just for their opinion or for their time. I mean, they're not just like tools for you to kind of navigate the project that you want to put together. Like, and as you said, if you want their time, if you want them to do a focus group or whatever, you may have to compensate that because, you know, there aren't many opportunities available for them in the first place. And they're not just there for us to sort of ship around for you. Um, Exactly. You, you mentioned social media earlier. And I think that is a really, um, I mean, it's so contested. It's, you know, it's so talked about. It's such a massive part of our lives. But actually, you know, when you spoke about learning from elders, for example, they probably would have in many cases done, you know, participated in activism with no social media. Um, yeah, exactly. What do you, like, how do you see the role of social media? Because in our case, that's how we found you. <laughs> and that's
3: clearly how you've done <laughs> a lot of your organizing. So actually, I mean, what, what do you yeah. think? Well, I, I, you know, social media is such a double entendre. It's, I mean, it's very, it's good. It's like, you know, for activism and, and to be able to get your word spread out, it works. Because even our um, the protests we organize... Um, so one of the ones we did was uh, we did the one in High Park on the 3rd of June. So that one was like 25 people or so that attended. And it was like that was just through social media. Like one of our team who has a big platform, she's like 50 followers, 50,000 followers. Mm. She like posted and then, you know, all the people were in touch and everyone wanted to help. And it was so good, you know, to kind of like... Um, it's not just speak about it, but just to like um, kind of bring awareness to what was going on. And even now, when I post this stuff on my page, um, it can literally get one thousand, two thousand, three thousand. You know, um, interactions. You know what I mean? Same as even in our just in our actual justice organization page, because people want to to know what you're talking about. People want to like, or they they, they find something interesting. Because a lot of the time, even when we talked about like, for example. A police brutality in, in UK and we, we actually show examples. People are like, oh my gosh, I didn't realise this ever happened. I only thought it was in America. I'm like, yeah, this is why people, when they say the UK's is not innocent, this is what they mean and this is why when it comes to stuff like, oh, you know, in many media, um, uh, media, basically when the media is talking about like these movements, I've heard a lot of people say because of George Floyd, because of George, and it's like, it is, but also we're also advocating for us as being um, black British or, you know, being the people a person of colour, even though I don't really identify with that phrase, but being a person of colour in UK. Do you know what I'm saying? So it works, social media works for that, but also on the other side, social media is, I mean, I mean, there's many other issues that come with social media, you know, like anxiety and all the other stuff that comes with, you know, but I do think it is, it helps us in the long haul because how we've got a lot of people who contacted us and a lot of people who want to work with us has been through social media. So that's a good thing in that mm. sense.
0: Mm. Yeah. So Abba, why do you think that Protest specifically as a form of political action as opposed to other types of political activities why or you know do you think or do you think that protest civil uprising so to speak is important as, as a type of activity
3: yeah i definitely think so um but like for example i remember I, I, this post and this is one i'm making with an infographic with my um with one of the designers, is that you know there's been a lot of things that protest has done that have really um, helped, you know, and I even not even just to look at here and obviously to look at you know in America as. Is- well but there's been stuff like you know um in this country like belly um belly majinga's case and shagri abdi's case has been reopened you know that's due to public interest but that's also resulted from the fact that people protest about it you know Mm -hmm. and stuff like when you know boris johnson mentioned that he wants to put all reviews into racism in every single aspect which i don't really think helps as much because you need to actually um work work in the work with education first because you can it's all well and good like changing you know employment now but like you know people are still going to have those attitudes and mindsets and racism Mm -hmm. is also in the mindsets it's it's prejudice it's power plus prejudice um so yeah that's also from protest because he's seen that people are upset and he's like okay so this is what i'm going to do to fix it so there's a lot of things that come well because when you have public interest and the media focus on it and it's a big stance in it then people have no choice but to look and to listen you know so that's one thing i really do and they normally say that I I forgot the quote it's a really good quote I think it says something like riots I don't want to say riots actually that's not the best part like basically protests are a form of of outcry Mm -hmm. uh, of of um of solidarity. And I really think that's effective because, you know, you look at many other civil rights movements and how, you know, thing, like, things like things that came into play and it worked with marching and it worked with, you know, boycotting or, or kind of having that solidarity, um, not just in US, but here in, in in UK as well. So I do think protest helps a lot. I just actually had a call. Someone asked me about that the other day um, just before, because they were just asking about how they can facilitate. And I was kind of saying, protests are good and I really think they're helpful um, and they really help get an awareness out. But we also need to remember that we need to turn, you know, social problems into social policies. So even though it's unfortunate, we have to message those in position of power, um, such as those in cabinet, because they're going to be ones who actually can implement those changes. You know what I mean? Um, So it's when a good... You know, doing protests and there are a lot of MPs that have come to protest. I've seen a lot of MPs. I know that in Islington, like Sam Terry went to one of his local areas as a MP. That's amazing. But like we now need to put forward these policies, which we're doing now uh, through demands, um, called the Black Liberation Demands, and we put that through the government, you know. Um, so protests do help though, but we also need to I think protest is a good cause when we're speaking about demands because I've been to many protests and they've asked me to speak. So at the protest, I'll be like, okay, guys, you know, we're putting these demands and if you have any ideas, please come to us and let us know. So that really does help. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So that actually, um, a big part of what
0: Fizayo and I have been talking about, um, you know, mm-hmm. leading up to this podcast and, you know, why we wanted to do it was actually this discussion. You know, how do you go from, you know, the, the momentum the spontaneity, the, the, the disruptiveness and the uprisings that we need to get stuff on people's, you know, radar and to actually kind of make ourselves heard and make ourselves seen. And how do you move from that to more long-term sustained change? Like in your eyes, you are now very deep involved in this more initial outburst, but you've said yourself already, some of your friends are like, yeah, done with that. (laughs) So what do you think kind of can take us from that momentum into something sustainable? I mean, is that something you, for example, have plans for?
3: Have you thought about this yourself? I mean, um, well, in terms of actually putting, like how I mentioned about making it more sustainable in terms of the legal systems. I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely. We've got demands and even um, I I do head of communications. I mean, I am a co-founder of Justice for Black Lives, for example, but I do... Um, yeah, the demands and stuff um, with um, alongside one of my team members. She's head of demands though, but she actually has a team of like, you know, academics and scholars who are actually putting these legal restraints to um, to kind of speak about what's going on and how to improve and all that kind of stuff, you know? So I really think that that helps a lot. And obviously we've all gone through it and we've also messaged a lot of other um, key organisations organize, in the Black Lives Matter movement in UK to kind of be on board with these demands and share the, the documents so they can understand what they're kind of also putting themselves into so we all can have that kind of solidarity going against because if you have every single person on the same page that really does help And um, obviously don't get me wrong every organization have different missions but when mm-hmm. we have a key focus of what the, the black lives Matter in uk wants i think it's very beneficial so yeah and what is that,
0: Abba? What is, What is success to you? What What, what does it look like? What's I mean, the end systematic goal? racism
3: ending. <laughs> yeah, there you go, done. <laughs> my mum always important. My mum like my friend the other day asked me, oh, like, how are you? Or what do you want? like? I think she was doing a joke. She was like, like, oh, what do you want to change? Not about the racism. She just asked me in general. Like, we're having a random conversation. She's like, what do you want to change? And I was like, I don't know. You know. I want women to be paid the same rights. I want, um, I mean, paid the same as men. I want, you know, the same rights for women. I want, um, I want like a, a more feminization of, of a lot of, um, you know, social sciences. I want systematic racism to end. I was like, is that what you mean? It's just like, no, I meant like she was just joking. But that's the stuff I, you know, that I want to change. Obviously, not just us, many organizations. We want, you know, just the right to, you know, it's all because it's very difficult because like, you know, at the end of it we're all like humans and I don't want to be into that but be those people who kind of say stuff like that but we all, ha- we all should have the same rights you know that's literally of one of the basic rights which you've got life, liberty and l- I forgot the last one yeah but it's it's like a quote um, that's like the basic one so that's what most people I think it's from John Locke I'm not too sure but that's what most people want you know they just oh it's life, liberty, property but I don't know about property but anyway but you're not so um, sure about property <laughs> yeah no, because property is like <laughs> you know if that one really varies um, but like you know we just kind of want we want to like kind of eradicate racial inequality, you know, and it's very difficult. Don't get me wrong because, you know, as I mentioned before, racism is in the mindset. And so that means you have to eradicate a lot of people's mindsets. That are now and a lot of people are at the age of being, you know, 20, 20, 20 year olds and plus it's, it's difficult. Um, so, you know, that's really, really what I find really, really hard for us. But then it's also like, you know, um, I think by the change we're doing, we can advocate. And that's why we always push for for education to now, like if we're talking about education and systematic racism, it's just start from primary school. Because primary school is when you learn. I know stuff like, you know, how many size a rectangle has okay that's easy but like you know what i mean like something like mm-hmm. that because you mm-hmm. learn it in school and it mm-hmm. stays with you so imagine you you will learn kind of i don't want to sound rude but like kind of how not to be ignorant or learn like okay this is what it means this is what systematic racing looks like then children will know go up and then be like okay so this is what i did that was that was different and it really just bridges the gap with everyone um and that's kind of some of the stuff that you know you 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 want to advocate for and and that's what's what's difficult because I just don't understand how it hasn't been done before I know like what is really amazing AQA um is now implementing more books um to do with I think uh basically racial awareness which is really good and systematic racism but I mean it's a start but it's like we need to be doing a a lot more because there's now a lot of people on our page have been messaging in like oh my gosh guys I did not realize that this was a thing you know like even the other day, this is really random, but they looked up, you know, having something like, you know, when you search on eczema, even there's a lot of eczema on black skin, when you search mm-hmm. on Google, you only see on white skin. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Not until this year, there wasn't plasters that work the same color as, as dark skinned women or other women that are, are, you know, any other person of color. You see what I'm saying? That's all little things where well, they don't realise that is all forms of, of, of that kind of systematic racism and just like, you know, just a lot of things like microaggressions and whatnot. That's just many things that we want to we wanna argue for. But we have like a what we're kind of striving for, which is our, our some of our demands being like, you know, changing the energy education system, in the police, which is just, people get so defensive about that. But it's literally just putting money into mental health services and youth services. I mean, you work with, with a lot of um, young people people it's so essential if you had funding or if there was devolution of powers in local areas or funds because then you can be able to make a change for those people you know um and it's just very sad that that doesn't happen and even stuff like you know when there is a lot of people in mental health who go into the prison systems unfortunately and sometimes when 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 it's called the poli- the police are the first respondents and that shouldn't be a case it should be a mental health representative yeah. You know, what I mean, he understands yeah. that this is all what funding comes from, and and it's like if the police, for example, is the big, the second biggest institution, money should be going, you know, and it's also that we don't actually know what their budget is; that it's not very transparent. <laughs> so there's many, you know what I mean? I'm like, why well, do we not know how much goes into? Like, well, we can see from the chancellor of when he comes out with his damn red suitcase to be like, guys, this is the money that's in here, you know, this is what we're spending on you guys, but we don't know about the Met, the police. That's crazy, you know? Like, yeah. come on. So just stuff like that, and obviously we did advocate for justice for Belly and advocate because we speak to their family so which is amazing that now the cps has opened the case but that's just some of the umbrella terms you kind of want to help other marginalized communities like disabled like lgbtq plus you know the prison to education program there's many things well yeah like that you know what i mean so so it's a lot um and it's going to take a while. Um, but you know, for the people that are here with us, it's amazing to see them really getting involved and trying to help. So, sorry, I speak a lot. I really am. No, I mean, you
0: speak a lot cause there's a lot to speak about. And I think maybe this, That's you know, maybe it. we need to, um, pick this up, uh, another time. I think we could talk to you for, for forever. <laughs> um, it's really um, phenomenal to sort of, see, I mean, the, the passion in you literally is like bursting out of my computer. I can feel it. I can feel it. And we're not even in the same room. It's it's really amazing and um, really well, inspiring. And I think absolutely um, a response to anybody who, who who talks about political apathy amongst, you know, young younger people.
1: Um, really? So that was super interesting. I don't know what you thought, but I thought it was interesting because... Um, at first, listen, I guess, you might think that they had quite contrasting views and they were quite contrasting people in terms of stage of life and their access points and things like that. But actually, um, what Azar said at the end about hope being the most important thing, I think is completely reflected in ABBA. Um, I mean, that girl <laughs> was just hope exploding. Like,
0: literally, I mean, she made me
1: hopeful. And, well, I think you came out hopeful too, didn't you? From no, Definitely. And do you know what? Um, she spoke about being gen z and i think one of the things that as someone that i think is more on the millennial side of things one of the things that really inspires me about gen z is that they have the tools and the language that maybe i didn't have growing up so there's certain words and concepts that they know about um maybe due to social media or due to all the things that they're exposed to that i think sort of empower them um and maybe make them a slightly more um grounded when they want to be um in what's going on so that fills me with quite a lot of I guess
0: hope yeah <laughs> I mean it's interesting because as I talked about um you know social media definitely on the whole being a positive like you need it for mobilizing you need it for international connection that there but that there being a worry that it can make people engage with the topics a little bit superficially um and actually it felt to me like Abba knows that, you know, they, she was kind of saying, you know, we might get thousands of views, but we have, we have a lot to learn from, from elders. And it was really interesting to hear her say, like maybe even the way that we just live our lives out on social media and we don't even worry about stuff like safety and protection. And actually probably we do have a lot to learn. Um, what I felt was, you know, I think probably what we can all take away from today is that they both said loud and clear, protests is a part of it it's a very important part of it it kicks it off but the crucial thing is moving
1: that into some kind of sustained change yeah I think I think that's what it is isn't it and I think that's what inspire um not inspires but invigorates both of us really that's where all of our conversations Mm -hmm. tend to go it's like okay cool this is happening this is wrong but what next what can we do what tangible things can we do to move forward and I think that's what this platform's all about, really. Because no one, I, what I learned from as, a, as someone who's been doing this for so long is that there's no quick fix. There's no definite answer. Um, it's about having these conversations, and through these conversations, is hopefully where we find the solutions. Um, and those solutions might change and grow, and it's an organic process, essentially. So.
0: And I think maybe it's about, for anyone listening who's thinking, I do want to get involved, I do want to do something, I don't really know. I think it's actually about really being really honest with yourself about where your access and your skills and your capacity lies. So, you know, are you young and fit and healthy and full of energy and you're able to traipse through the streets protesting? Well, then maybe that's what you do. But are you sitting at home and maybe even at the moment, still wanting to, you know, isolate, but you could do lots of, you know, planning, admin, calling around, you know, etc. from home. You know, is there stuff you can do on a computer? Is there stuff you can do by picking up the phone and calling around people to get them to rallies or get them to events? I mean, you heard Abba talk about how much of her time is spent at a moment organized, literally organizing. So there's a lot more to it than being seen on the streets. And I feel certainly from running a grassroots project, trust me the back end there is so much to do in the back end that nobody sees and actually probably almost any type of skill be it driving literally driving around be it calling people be it posting on social media be it creating spreadsheets be it doing research like there's so much needed and I feel if you're listening figure find out what maybe the projects are around you near you the ones that resonate with you that might need your support um that's that's yeah the ways to begin. definitely
1: it tends to be like specific moments that take the headlines like that statue in bristol falling over but behind that was so many levels of organization that many of us don't know about or think about so i echo what mana says there's definitely something that all of us can do if we want to
0: and i have to say when i saw that statue fall i said to you all i could think about was how well organized that was because everybody worked together nobody got injured it got pulled exactly in the right you know motion the right direction the right angle that will have taken a very very long time to organize and that was what i took away from it more than anything else which makes me a bit of a geek but that that's kind of where i was at so i think hope
1: and organization is kind of what with a little sprinkling of resilience that's that's what i think i'm going to take away from this week Um, and also actually compassion for yourself don't be ashamed if you do feel exhausted at times like as I said if it's something that's lifelong there's peaks and troughs you can come back to it you can take a break you can you know it's just about keeping the fire ignited
0: I guess we'd love to hear what you took away from today so message us um, contact us um, find us on Instagram send us a message um, tell us what you took away and what you actually think you'd like us to explore future
1: yeah on that note we're new around here obviously so please do follow subscribe rate and review us um on all those good things that you can do (laughs) wherever you listen we'd also yeah like Mina said we'd love your feedback as we are new around here so if you would like to follow us it's at untelevised underscore tv or the email is talk to and to being the number two rather than to (laughs) untelevised at gmail.com um and if you enjoyed our guests you can find out more from them online too abba can be found at aba underscore abroad abba abroad um and our organization justice for black lives is at justice underscore for black lives on instagram and ozar can be found on instagram also at ozar majedi
0: yeah a-z-a-r (laughs) (laughs) M-A-J-E-D-I.
1: So, um, yeah, do follow them as well because they're both great resources. Brilliant. Thank you, guys. See you next time. It's it's been fun.
0: Call me a dreamer Idealistic believer Put my head in a cloud I don't want to calm down But my feet are planted on so I look
3: or my ground?
1: Yeah. My
0: ground is a cloud. Bye.